This episode of the Warriors Huddle is brought to you by the Athletic Club Oakland, a local sports bar we fucking love. If you listen to this podcast, you enjoy watching sports, and you already know that watching games with other fans just makes that experience better. Look, watching a Warriors game on your own is fine. It's crazy fun. I've done it for years. But watching a game in a spot that lets me scream and cheer and just generally lose my shit with other Dub Nation fans, it's way more fun. COVID stole that from us for a while, and the ACO is giving it back. The Athletic Club Oakland has shut down their entire side street, created an enormous outdoor space called the Town Gardens, and filled that space with tables, more than 15 huge and legitimate TVs, and their full complement of great food, service, and drinks. It's big, it's comfortable, it's a great spot to watch Steph continue to rain threes during this incredible Warriors season, the NFL playoffs, or any other sport with fans while still staying safe. I love this bar. I love their food. I love their space. I love their TVs. I even love that it's basically family friendly. I can go here, get hammered with my friends and get too passionate, or I can roll with my wife and kid and just enjoy brunch while catching a game. The Athletic Club is now our go-to spot to watch all sports, especially the Warriors, and we hope you'll join us there. The Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans can be sports fans again. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in the Warriors Huddle with me, Bram. No Marcus, at least in our opening segment here today, but with me per usual, my master of all things sound, Maxime. How's it going? And Maxime, after way too long, and we desperately need him because there's a lot to talk about rejoining us, the Golden State B-Writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, a man who attends every single Warriors practice, press conference, shoot around and playoff game, and a guy who's now a part of a Jordan Poole uh, face meme, Mr. CJ Holmes. What's going on, CJ? Uh, not much, man. Uh, joining you guys from Memphis. I uh, got a practice day in between games. Came a meme yesterday, so that was fun. And I uh, got to watch. I uh, had a pretty good seat, sweet, uh, sweet seats for a pretty good uh, playoff basketball game. So all was well. Dude, you guys were like three, four rows off the floor. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm watching that game. I'm in like a totally inappropriate lather. I'm taking it too hard. I'm already screaming at the screen. And then I noticed, I saw Anthony Slater. I saw you. I saw all the press super close to the court. And CJ, I'd like to tell you that I'm the kind of guy who's happy for his friends. Like I see that you have this amazing seat. Instead, I took time out of like being too fired up for a playoff game to kind of be bitter and resentful of your fucking seat, man. Like it seemed like you can reach out and like touch the floor there. So nicely played. And uh, I was jealous. I love the hate. I thrive <laughs> off of it. I'm like Draymond. Well, you've come to the right podcast then, man. It is what it is. Uh, this is not a hyperbolic or hyperbolic answer in any way. My nickname among some of my friends is the hater because I just fucking hate everything, man. So uh, it is what it is. Let's talk Warriors. And I want to go back to a segment we haven't done forever. It's the off the court report. So the idea for this is pretty simple. What it tries to take advantage of is your uh, access to the team. If you're listening to this show, you certainly care enough about the Warriors to follow them on the court. You know what the hell happens between the lines. But CJ, like a lot of our guests, has access we can only dream of. And he sees these guys off the court. So for this segment, normally I just shut up and give him the mic. But before I do that, I got a couple of 
more guided questions. And here's the first, man. So you're in Memphis. You have this awesome seat. You know, you're, you're two rows off the floor. What's the feeling in that gym before the ball got tipped? Man, it was electric. It was electric, man. Um, I think that, you know, the Grizzlies and, you know, that arena staff do a really good job setting the moon, mood. You know, they're, they're playing all this uh, Memphis music, you know, you know, Gotti, um, some other dudes. And it, it's just like, you know, it, it's hype in there. You know, um, one thing I can really appreciate about the Grizzlies franchise is the fact that they know their audience, right? They, they, they know their audience. They do a good job tapping into those, um, tapping into that network, you know, with the music they play and, you know, the graphics they make and like the, the slang they use on social media. Um, so long story short, they, they set the mood, um, they set the mood for what turned out to be a pretty damn good basketball game yesterday. And I expect more of the same tomorrow. Were they nervous? So here, don't answer that yet. I'll, I'll admit something to you and then let's get Maxine's take. I was nervous heading into that game yesterday and I've watched bigger matchups. I've seen this team go through three finals wins. You know, I mean, we, we have had bigger stakes. But going into yesterday, my butthole was a little bit puckered up. In fact, I learned a new term, lemon booty. I'd never heard that before, and somebody asked me if I had it. So the answer was yes. You know, it was what it was. Uh, Maxime, going into yesterday, were you nervous? Uh, yeah, I'm still trying to recover from lemon booty and the sort of visceral feeling. Yeah, I'm that still guess. on that. Like, I'm, I'm still on the lemon booty. <laughs> it wasn't my term. I learned it for the first time yesterday. And like, it's visceral, but it was accurate. I mean, my, my butthole had puckered up due to nerves, so I can see the lemon booty aspect. <laughs> For me personally, yeah, I was very nervous. I, I really, you know, they like to say that the, the series doesn't start until the road team steals a win, right? And if I, I felt like if we could come in there and kick them in the teeth uh, in game one, we'd have a really, we'd have ourselves a really nice series. And ultimately, I don't really know we can get into it. I feel like even though we got the win, it doesn't totally feel like a, a teeth kicking win. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel after it, but I was definitely nervous before. I mean, I'm not sure how to define teeth kicking win, but I'm pretty sure it's not a one point fucking victory. So, you know, I, I, I don't yeah, know. He's saying it wasn't convincing. You know, it wasn't like a convincing, right. dominating win. The Warriors didn't come in there and shoot 55% from the field, be like, you know, 12 for 20 from three point range. It wasn't that kind of game. Like, I think that's what he said. Well, we will cover how uh, convincing the win was. First, let me follow up on this lemon booty thing. <laughs> Was it both sides, man? Because that was all supposed to be a setup to this. Did the fans in Memphis feel nervous as well? Were they, you know, did they share in the Grizzlies kind of blissful ignorance approach to like, look, why worry? Let's just see what the hell happens. I mean, what, what was the feeling in the crowd? I mean, I didn't get any sense of nervousness from, you know, the, the Grizzlies or their fan base. I mean, those dudes were rowdy. They were talking shit to Steve Kerr. Like, I was close enough to the court to hear them talking shit to Steve Kerr the entire game. I mean, they're a confident team and a confident fan base. And, like, why wouldn't they be? I mean, look at their last series against the Timberwolves. Like, every time, yeah, every time they thought they're on the ropes, you know, or the, the Minnesota thought they're on the ropes, they rallied back and win. I mean, in their eyes, the fans at least, they think they're invincible right now and, and for good reason. Now, granted, they couldn't pull it off yesterday at home, but, you know, John Moran hits that last second layup. This is a, there's a, there's a much, much, much different narrative today. 
Yeah, well, they didn't, so they can suck on that, and now they realize that they're not fucking invincible, and hopefully they're a little bit nervous. Also, I forgot to tell you, I was just making up that lemon booty thing. I was hella confident. Why wouldn't I be? Look who we did in the last series. I was ready to go. <laughs> uh, complete the picture for me. All right, so before the tip, they're not nervous. Both of them are fired up. After the tip goes through, Ja misses that layup at the end. What's the feeling in Memphis as you're leaving the building after game one? Well, I'm just going to – I'm going to tell you guys what John told the media, um, you know, more or less. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he's like, you know, we gave up 18 transition points, um, you know, allowed them to get hot in the fourth quarter, you know, had all these breakdowns, and we still walked out of our home gym with a one-point loss. So, as – you know, that win bodes well for the Warriors because they were able to rally in the second half without Draymond Green, with Klay Thompson, you know, shooting poorly, um, you know, through the first three quarters, um, with all those turnovers piling up, and they were still able to walk out of there uh, with a road win in the playoffs. But it's it goes the same for Memphis. You know, despite all of that, they only lost by one. So – you know, is it disappointing to drop game one on your home floor? Yeah, but what did the Grizzlies do in their last series? They lost game one and then won four of their next five games. Uh, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen in this series, but when you have – when you've experienced success like that, I mean, you have no choice but to just remain confident and, and play your game and, and do what you do. Also, take this into account. Dylan Brooks – and Devin Bain played like shit last night. That's not going to be the case for this entire series. Eventually, the Warriors are going to have to deal with a game where Morant's on and Bain's on and Brooks is on. And, you know, how are they going to respond then? And especially when those shooters are – when those guys get it going on the perimeter, all that's going to do is open up wide – you know, open up some pretty sizable driving lanes for John Settle Morant. down over there, CJ. I feel like this is like an episode of Scooby-Doo. Like you're going to take your face off and you're Taylor Jenkins or some shit. <laughs> I know this is a, a warrior centric podcast, but all I'm saying is you gotta, you, you gotta take it. You know what Steve said today, you gotta take it game by game. You know, not every game is the same and you know, the Warriors are going to have to, that, the, that was not the Grizzlies best shot last night. When the Grizzlies do give the Warriors the best shot, how are they going to respond? We're not going to know that until the series continues. Well, and to their defense, to the Grizzlies' defense, for the first time all season, they were playing with three brand-new teammates. I mean, they, they had to work the, the NBA refs into their offense, <laughs> which is incredible, dude. Like, the, the idea that they were able to build consistency with that refereeing core, is, you know, is really a testament to them. Uh, let me actually get to the off-the-court report, and then I'll ask you some questions about the game. But here's the part I just shut up, man. Any stories, anything stick out to you about your first foray into playoff experience? This is the, uh, the first playoff trip, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, nothing too crazy, but I thought this was a fun little quote. I actually wanted to include it in one of my stories today, but it ran out of space. Um, but during Stephen Curry's press conference today, he was asked by Marcus Thompson of The Athletic, you know, Steph, like, if you were an 18-year-old thrown into the playoffs, would you be able to perform as well as Jonathan Kaminga has in his limited appearance? Yeah. And Steph said, uh, you know, more or less what Steph said was no. He's like, no. He's like, when I was 18 years old, I was I was losing my cat card at Davidson, which is like, you know, the card they use to, you know, get food, get in and out of the dorms. Like, yeah. He was like, I was losing my cat card every other day and just trying to not forget my dorm. 
And, you know, he basically you know, forget where my dorm room is. And basically he just, uh, you know, basically he just praised, you know, the rookie for, you know, his efforts. You know, it's not an easy situation, you know, being thrown to the fire like that at 18 year old. I mean, imagine, you know, barely playing and then you're, you're thrown, you're thrown into this game one against the high powered Memphis team. That's a lot, man. And all things considered, you know, John Kaminga is, you know, held his own and, now, for that, he deserves some credit, and Curry gave it to him. You saw today, or did you guys see today, on Kaminga's IG account, he posted the picture of uh, John Morant screaming to the crowd at the end of the first half, this guy can't guard me. And I, I just, I like that, man. You know, that for if, if that's me, in addition to losing my dining hall card at 18, I couldn't <laughs> take criticism, dude. No, you couldn't put me in there. I'd, I'd shit the bed immediately. And if you put me in there and the other team's best player went public about how I couldn't guard him, I'd go into like an emotional shell. I wouldn't want to talk about it. I'd be all embarrassed that Kaminga is mature enough to not only get out there, to not only get that experience, but to take the one bad thing, because really his minutes were pretty productive, to take the one thing that wasn't a productive moment and make that the IG story makes me really like him. And this kid is mature beyond his years. I'm sure we'll get into that last off the court uh, or off the court report question for you, CJ. How many questions have you been able to ask so far that began with when I was playing at Auburn, I, I mean, like three, four, I mean, I, I can only hope there's been a few. No, I've never done that in a public setting. Um, I did pull Curry to the side today for a story I'm working on and, you know, to be able to relate to him a little better. It was my first time actually, you know, talking to him one-on-one. So, you know, I took some time to introduce myself and I don't want to reveal the subject of what we were talking about, but I did have one of those, you know, well, when I was at Auburn uh, moments. um, Hella smart. Were you nervous at all? Give me the, the personal side of that. Like just started because he's seen you, right? It's not, you've had a bunch of interactions with Steph, but it's not the one-on-one. Is there any, like, what's your personality type? Were, were you nervous to begin? No, this is just a job. How does that hit you? I don't want to say I was nervous, but I felt a little stupid because I'm trying to like, you know, Curry's trying to go back to the locker room and get changed after practice and, you know, hop on the bus and leave the arena. And, you know, he's giving me a few minutes of his time, um, you know, so I can, so I can get these sound bites and I'm trying to like turn on my tape recorder and like, for whatever reason, it's like turning off on me. So I'm like, Oh man, do I, do I seem like a new guy right now? He's like, nah, you good. You good? <laughs> I'm just sitting here. Like it's like awkward silence for like 20 seconds of Steph standing in front of me. So I'm trying to get my tape recorder situation figured out. So uh, that was pretty funny. I hope he thought it was funny too. <laughs> I, I'm sure he did. Hopefully you snuck a couple of white claws in there to kind of, you know, lighten the mood and, and hand it off to him uh, at the risk of boring you with my own story. And then we'll move on here. But way back, uh, the Warriors were stupid enough to let us go to a practice and they let me interview Zaza at the time. And then way smaller. And I was hella nervous, CJ. They, I shouldn't have been in there. They definitely shouldn't let me be talking to anybody. And we finally get to speak to him. And at that point, I wasn't lucky enough to have Maxime. I had another guy on the show. And we're getting ready to ask him questions. And that guy starts going like this, like, no, sound isn't perfect. And makes me wait for eight minutes. Like I'm, I can, I can remember feeling like I was going to die during that period of time. <laughs> so I can immediately associate with that. Uh, all right, boys, our golden questions. CJ, this is our mailbag. People write in with questions concerning the Warriors and some personal stuff. You no, know, Brad, I'm gonna stop you there. This isn't my first time on Warriors Huddle. I know, I know, the, I know the, I know the gist. Of course you do, <laughs> CJ. I'm not talking to you, buddy. I'm talking to the other people who may not know. I'm just throwing your name up front. Hey, everybody. 
<laughs> Here's our first question. Was that the worst officiated playoff game in recent memory? So to give you some time to think, I'll go first. And I want to make sure I'm not too much of a homer here. Um, so I'm going to try to be as measured as possible. And here's my response. Fuck yes, that was the most uh, like poorly officiated game I've ever seen. There was at least three, maybe four terrible calls that literally could have impacted the income or the, the outcome of that game. Between Draymond almost being thrown out, between the charge call on Steph, between the missed free throw, the ball going out of bounds, and they didn't even have a call. They didn't even have a call to review. Um, and the loose ball foul on Loon, all of them were objectively wrong. All of them were objectively missed. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll keep it with recent playoff memory. And this is coming from a very Homer place, but it felt like an unbelievably poorly officiated game. One that is unacceptable, one that had me furious and screaming at my television. But Hedges here, CJ, you're not a Homer. You know, you, you probably approach this in a far more objective stance. What did you think, man? You left there. Did you think the officiating was awful? I mean, I could certainly see how, you know, Warriors fans would think it was the worst officiated game in NBA history. I mean, you know, throwing out Draymond, obviously that changed the complexity of the game. Um, as you mentioned, um, the Steph charge, I got to look at it again before I, I can speak on that. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the Clays missed free throw, the ball going, going out of bounds, that's absolutely ridiculous in a, in a clutch game with, you know, under 30 seconds to play and you guys can't decide – you know, who took possession of the ball in that situation. And, you know, and, you know, if Morant hits that last second layup, then that's all we're going to be talking about, right? That's what we're going to be talking about. Well, first of all, Clay should have made the free throws. He knows that, right? But um, secondly, yeah, Morant hits that layup. That's all we're talking about today. How, like, you know, in that situation, the referees don't have a call and it results in a jump ball, which results in a, in, in a, in a possession for Memphis with an opportunity to score the go-ahead bucket. Um, but was it the worst officiated game of NBA history? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I watched, you know, games four and five of the Warriors, you know, first-round series against Denver, all the foul touch fouls they're getting called for. And I'm sitting here like, I thought this was playoff basketball. I thought a lot of this shit is supposed to, you know, supposed to fly. But all bets are off in the postseason. But, you know, I just think that – Last night's game kind of speaks to a larger officiating issue in this year's NBA playoffs. I mean, it hasn't just been the Warriors game. There's been numerous, you know, games in this postseason where, you know, the referees have been more of a factor than they should. What do you think, Maxime? Where are you on this? Yeah, so, I mean, I, you know, first of all, CJ just upped the ante from in recent memory to in basketball history. Which so It's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. Case in point right there. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you'll get aggregated. CJ Holmes of the San Francisco Chronicle says worst officiated game in NBA history. <laughs> but look, I, I think there's there's two things that I want to point to. Right. One is just perusing Reddit and seeing in general, the Warriors, even right now, are, are a very um, villainous team in terms of other fan bases perspectives. And yet in the NBA subreddit, you see every other fan base besides Memphis piling on and saying, wow, that was a terribly officiated game. And, you know, I, there's no need for them to come to our defense, right? Even though we are the lower seed in the series, there's a reason to think that Memphis is 
maybe a slight underdog, right? I mean, I've seen projections that have us as a much higher percentage chance to win the championship than they do. So there's no reason for fans of other teams to come to our defense and yet they do. And so that makes me think that like, there is an objective issue that's happening here. And the other thing that I wanted to mention was, I don't know if you guys saw Tim Donaghy and like, to be fair, right? Dude is a disgraced ref. He's no longer in the NBA. So you got to take it with a grain of salt, right? Cause he got kicked out for, you know, basically betting on games and making money for himself while he was refing them. And even though he denies that he was fixing his own games, it's nonetheless an issue. Point is, is that he comes out and says, yeah, we were trained as refs to keep the series from being a sweep. We were trained to sort of pay attention to little calls that could help sort of even out the series. And so, you know, we talked a little bit last time about conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories. I don't want to say it's so far as a conspiracy theory, but like the amount of egregious oversight that was happening um, makes it pretty clear that there was some pretty poor officiating going on. I'll, I'll work backwards um, and I'll start with the Tim Donahue stuff. I, I have been seeing all those quotes and I have been seeing people trying to discount what Donahue is saying because of his past. But if you're looking for criminal insight, you don't go to somebody who's crazy innocent. You go to a criminal because that's the insight you're looking for. So that if, if I had to hand select somebody who could tell us about what the officials might be doing shadily, I would pick a shady official. Like when Batman needs help kept catching a villain, does he go to Gotham PD? I mean, kind of, but more so, he goes to the Joker locked up in Arkham, Arkham Asylum. Exactly right. That's exactly right, because that's the type of opinion you need on this. Then working back another step, I've had a lot of situations where I was furious at a call. A lot, you know, and sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. You know, most of the time it's filtered through who I'm rooting for. You know what I've never had? I've never had something that just broke my common sense. The idea that last night, Clay Thompson misses a free throw and the possession of that ball is insanely important, insanely important. And three people whose livelihoods is it to watch, to, to at least have an opinion on what would happen. None of them have an opinion. That's hard to believe, but fine. It, it goes down. Then the three of them get together. And I mean, I, I understand that this was an NBA rule, but they were still in shock. They're like, holy shit, Clay missed two free throws. Well, then it'll be two <laughs> fucking options today in 2022 when that, that game was covered by, I don't know, 50 cameras. I mean, how, how many cameras do we think were, were pointed at that exact moment that could have given us the information we needed? And instead of going to the footage of one of those fucking 50 cameras, they're like, you know what? Let's just tip the ball. It's like, what are you talking about? How could that possibly have been the approach to that? It, it just, it drove me crazy. Um, and instead of jumping down the rabbit hole further, let me ask you this. So back to the Draymond ejection. Draymond gets ejected and there's about a 90 second period of time where he loses his fucking mind. You know, he's, he is running around the court doing everything he can until Andre pulls him back. What was the goal of that? I mean, like, who, who was Draymond appealing to? Was that him literally just losing his mind? Was that a strategic thing? Like, was that trying to get the refs to, to go in his direction? Because I, I think there's a real good chance it was that histrionics that led the refs to not pushing it back to a, to a flagrant one, which is what they announced today. Is after they reviewed it, they kept it as a two. Um, so you know, what the hell was he doing? What was that? I mean, it's just... Draymond being Draymond, you know, he's, he's a passionate guy. He's a fiery guy. And it was a call he certainly was not happy with. And he, sh I'm sure he knew what that, you know, could, could have meant, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't think the guy is, you know, crazy or, you know, acting insane. It's just, you know, one of those heat of the competition kind of things, you know, <laughs> back when I was in playing high school ball, I mean, I can't count about the count of times where, you know, the foul goes away that, 
I don't like for me or my teammate. And I'm just sitting there like, what? <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? So it was just a situation like that, um, you know? <laughs> CJ, I didn't know that you played high school ball. That makes me really value your opinion way more. I, I, I really appreciate you letting us know all of that. Uh, Marcus, welcome aboard, man. How are you? Doing good. Sorry for being a little late. All good. Field this next question, and then we're going to go to CJ, who we've already given shit for having incredible seats at the Memphis game. Um, so he was, he was hella close. He's going to be able to give us an actual in-person answer to this question. But Draymond is... Hey, what's up, CJ? <laughs> Draymond gets thrown out. And a lot of people, including Tim Kawakami, have uh, have guessed that the crowd played a role in the refs' decision to throw him out. Right? They they look real hard at the replay before they give him the play or two, and during that uh, replay review, you could hear the crowd saying, "Throw him out." Do you think the refs were influenced at all by the crowd? Uh, I don't think so. I just think Kane Fitzgerald had a terrible night. Um, and, and the crew, his back, his other two refs, I don't know their names, didn't have a great night either. Um, but I don't, I don't think so. I mean, there, there's a ton of calls that don't go the team's ways. There's a, a bunch of calls that honestly were horrible calls against Memphis that, you know, I was just like, oh, that wasn't a foul at all. So, um, you know, I think the crowd definitely probably hyped it up. But in that moment, I think Kane Fitzgerald was just in a, in a, bad zone where he was just getting a lot of stuff wrong. There's a, a bunch of plays I'm sure you guys have talked about that just were unfortunate misses and at this high level and at the time of it, it being a playoff game, you just, you need to be better than that. And it's unfortunate that they weren't, um, but fortunate that we were on the winning side of, of a game like that. You missed it, but CJ called it the worst officiated game in the history of the NBA. <laughs> it's up there. CJ, what do you think? Give me a quick answer to that. Do you think the crowd played any role in the ejection? Nah, nah the crowd didn't play any role in the ejection. I mean, at the end of the day, the refs, you know, they go to the monitor and they make the decision from there. And, you know, if they're doing their job correctly, they won't let the crowd dictate their decision. Keep the mic. Something you liked, something you didn't from game one. I like the Warriors' resiliency, man. Again, um, to lose your, you know, losing Draymond Green, you're not, you're not only losing your best defensive player, you're not only losing the guy who serves the drink offensively, but you're, you're losing your ultimate hype guy, you know, your, your, your ultimate motivator, the guy they rally around. And, you know, for them to be able to overcome that loss and be able to tough out a um, – Critical, critical game one win on the road. I think that speaks volumes. Um, not only was it resiliency, it was championship resiliency. Right. And, you know, of course, I like Jordan Poole as well, you know, going off again, you know, trying to earn that max money. But uh, one thing I didn't like about game one, um, that's tough. I mean, I enjoyed myself. I had a great time. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's all good. You can give us a I liked everything response. I'm, I'm on board for that. I mean, obviously, the officiating was questionable. Um, and I guess, you know, I, I, I didn't like those Clay Thompson missed free throws. You know, he's human. It happened. Right. Um, and, and again, he was the first person to hold himself accountable. And, you know, that's what makes Clay a mature veteran, veteran player. But, you know, he hits those two free throws. We're not talking about the ball going out of bounds and all, all, this, all this jump ball stuff. Uh, you know, he had a he had a pretty masterful, you know, fourth quarter, if you ask me, between the, you know, go-ahead three and the stop. And, you know, hits those two free throws. And, you know, the dude's 
pretty pretty perfect in the fourth. So <laughs> completely right, and you're proving why I should always. Go oh forward. God, yeah, and that Gary Payton dunk, I love that. That was nice. Okay, stop taking my answers. You're leaving nothing on the table for the rest of us, CJ. <laughs> I, I should have gone first. I'll start with the thing I didn't. You're right. It's the Clay missed free throws. And I'll add something that made it worse. From what I can tell, I, I have not spoken to Clay. I don't have any inside information. But it looked like Clay looked over, saw the wide open Damian Lee, and it was like, fuck no. It's like, I'm going to go ahead and hold on to this ball. <laughs> then got fouled and still missed them both, which which is kind of hard to take, you know, because like, I agreed with his decision of not passing to Damian Lee. Some things I liked. So CJ already stole most of my thunder. I don't have a whole lot to uh, – to add here here's a couple though i like that wiggins hit both of his free throws with two minutes left i mean i at, at the risk of overusing a term i had lemon booty when he was at the uh at the line man i thought no way he was gonna wake, uh, make both of those i liked andre being the elder statesman at the end of the game um we've heard reports that he was the guy who went over and kind of told draymond to calm down and was also the guy who caught clay who was celebrating big time after the win and said hey we got bigger things to get into here. Um, I liked Kaminga's playoff education. You know, what we want is this dude to get minutes and he was thrust into those minutes and looked like he played pretty well for all the things we already talked about. And I'll finally say the thing I liked the most was watching John Morant mouth the word fuck as, uh, as time hit zero, zero, zero and the Warriors triumphantly left the court. MT, what do you got? Something you like or something you don't? Um, something I like is our 15th, player um gary payton the second starting a playoff game and having an impact it's crazy to think at the beginning of the season we were arguing whether or not he should stay or avery avery bradley should get the spot and maxine rightly called out like no nah, i think it should be gp2 and i was on the avery bradley train hard and i was like maxine doesn't know what he's talking about it's like this dude doesn't even do a podcast about the warriors um <laughs> but you know like shout out maxine for nailing that one he's he's been amazing and to go from last player signed to starting five with you know like three hall of famers in the middle of a second round series um is his kudos to you know bob meyer and the team bob myers and the team for recognizing the talent giving him a shot you know he's been in the league before and he didn't stick you know he's been with the rockets a few other teams so um Love that. Love to see that. Love this dunk um, that I have as my background. And then what I didn't like was John Morant dancing um, right before Bain, Desmond Bain hit that three-pointer early in the first quarter. He passed it over. He knew Bain was going to hit it. Um, he started dancing early. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's the kind of um, fun and exuberance and cockiness that you can and should play with once you done something he hasn't done enough to do that he's a great player and he has amazing highlights but you haven't won enough to do that yet clay and stuff do that but he can do that championship i mean what is it what do you need to get in order to have the right to dance after a a teammate's made shot championship does that mean does that mean we can't dance like either Not, not in the middle, not in the middle of the game. Against against a move against Steph Curry. Like you just, you know, like at that point, you are like, I'm trying to knock off the people who are passing the torch to me. Like to me, it was too, it was disrespectful. It wasn't having fun. It was like, oh, we're out here and gonna, you know, like we're the team. And it's like you're not there yet. Like to me, I want to, I want the Warriors to win, obviously, because I'm uh, you know, a hometown fan, 
but more so just for that fact, like just to keep that humility in place for them. If I was not a fan of either team, I would root for the Warriors to make sure that they ate some humble pie off of that one. You agree with that shit, CJ? So, I mean, like, I, I agree with Marcus, but I'm also a homer, and we are the same age, Marcus and I. You know, I don't know if this is kind of like a uh, old era, they shouldn't be allowed to do this shit kind of thing. I saw footage of Ja and Dylan Brooks dancing on the Minnesota logo, and it was a little bit too much, man. You know, like, one thing to stomp on it, another thing to do, like, a 45-second dance as you're walking off. But... For you, you see that shit. Just part of the game? This is entertainment? Should we just enjoy it? Man, Marcus is tripping. Let that boy dance. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? That's his swag. That's how he gets himself going. And the Grizzlies aren't here to, to please the Warriors or anyone else. They're here to shake things up. They're here to take over. And, you know, whatever whatever gets Ja going, you know, gets him going. And if that boy want to dance, let that boy dance. I mean, I will tell you that if we view this as a television show, which is what it is, right? It makes it way more entertaining. Whatever the hell happens, if if they lose, having him do that will make it much better for Warriors fans. If they win, having him do that shit will make it much better for Memphis fans. Or anybody watching, it just ratchets up the entertainment level. I'm about to say, y'all weren't complaining when, when, when the Warriors were absolutely humiliating Denver. <laughs> it was, I don't know if it was game, I think it was game two back at Chase Center. They was dancing after every single buggy. I was, I was in mad then. So, you know, when the, yeah, but that's, that's three rings on the, on the hand after. Disrespect like, until, you know what I'm saying? Ja has that. Like, you, disrespect, you can't disrespect dance. confidence, confidence. You don't need rings for that. You know what I'm oh, no. You can't, you can't do the gritty off of most improved players. <laughs> like, I give you some more than that player. I'm going to need more, more stripes than that. <laughs> only reason I'm doing this is it gives me a chance to agree with the guests instead of you, Marcus. But I to, <laughs> to back CJ on this, Steph was, was turning his back on three-pointers before they went through the net, before he had titles. You know, I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of people who were really upset at the fun that we were having before those, you know, before they, they established themselves as a dynasty. And this is kind of, you know, like it's it's one of the, as you started the question, what I thought you were going to say is, oh, you know, like this is what it must feel. Um, and yeah, to, at least hash that in there. Because I agree with you, you probably earn the right to do more with titles, but, you know, we aren't completely clean here. We've, we've embarrassed some people too, for sure. Yeah. Well, that comes with being the best shooter in the history of the game. Too. Yeah, I, I just doing that because CJ and I are now best friends and neither <laughs> of us like you, Marcus. Suck on that. Next you guys can do your coordinated dance right now. That's exactly right. And I've never won a championship in anything. Elevator pitch, boy. So the concept on this, um, I'm going to give you a idea and I want you to give me the elevator pitch on it. For people who are new to the idea of an elevator pitch, it's a Hollywood term. If you've got a movie you'd like to be made, you suddenly find yourself in an elevator with someone who's got the money to make it. You only got, you know, two floors to sell them on that idea. What do you say? And I use this shit in sports all the time. When I'm sitting down for a game that my wife does not want to watch, AKA every fucking game that I put on the television, I gotta give her an elevator pitch. Why do you care, right? So here's our first. CJ, give me an elevator pitch. Why will this series be entertaining going forward, even for non-basketball heads? Because, because this series um, represents a dynamic. This series features a dynastic, a dynastic franchise, one of the best up-and-coming teams in the NBA. And as we said on this podcast, um, you know, in, in a way, it's a it might be a passing of the torch situation. You know, if, if Memphis wins, if, if not, it's kind of just, uh, 
This is a shitty elevator pitch, huh? I like it. <laughs> I, like it. I like that I threw you That's off. Great. Even with the- <laughs> And, and this is great radio as is. Uh, yes, you are, and, and uh, you know, if, um, if the Warriors are able to, you know, pull it out in however many games, it just goes to show you how good the Warriors still are and how much further a team like Memphis still has to go. As your new best friend, I can tell you that I really enjoyed that elevator pitch. So it is what it is. Here, I'll, I'll give you one. Um, these are two teams who have spent the better part of multiple months making sure that everybody around them knows they don't like each other. You know, so I don't give a fuck what they're playing. If these guys were playing televised tic-tac-toe, but you let me know that they really hated each other and they really want to win, well, I'm interested to see who wins anyways. I just like competition like that. Now they're having to be playing my favorite sport in two wildly entertaining styles featuring well-established and rising stars. Yeah, dude, pretty good television. You have got me involved. Maxime, elevator pitch, different topic. Why will the Warriors win this series? Ooh, well, um, it's sort of, uh, it's the inverse of some of the things we saw last night, and it's a continuation of some of this night. The inverse, if Jaron Jackson Jr. continues to have himself a series like he had in game one, it's a problem. Uh, There's, you know, we do not match up well against him. He's a big dude. If he continues to shoot well from three, it's, it's going to be a tough series, especially because, like CJ said, uh, it's very unlikely that Desmond Bain is going to continue to have uh, bad games through the rest of the series. So that scares me. But on the flip side, those 50-50 balls going our way more often than not is a really good thing. Memphis likes to move, and they like to take shots, and then they like to cover up their mistakes. So if, if we're able to cover up or not let them cover up their mistakes – by rebounding the ball and getting back ourselves in transition. That, that's how we keep them out of their uh, their own rhythm, and then we can actually pull it out. CJ, you've been Mr. Memphis throughout this podcast. What's the best reason Memphis walks away with a win? Because they are younger, more athletic, and hungrier. <laughs> and they're allowed to dance as much as they want. <laughs> Fuck you, Marcus. Marcus, take us to the other side of the coin. Elevator pitch. Why does Golden State come away at this series? Experience matters. Uh, we saw in the first round, Memphis went down by 26 points a couple times to a Minnesota team that is inferior to the Warriors. Uh, the Warriors would never let that kind of lead it um, waste away, let alone over four games. So um, talented team, but it's not their time yet. They need to put that gritty away for a little bit. Back up. So I'll handle both of those. Elevator pitch. Why does Golden State win? I'm going to echo what Marcus said. Again, it's championship pedigree. And we saw that. So they, they didn't win game one with, you know, five explosive offense. They didn't win with incredible defense. They didn't win with an incredible uh, coaching play out of nowhere. What they won by doing is just continuing to stay steady and not fucking panicking. Draymond gets thrown out. They do not panic. The refs shit the bed with the loony call. They do not panic. The refs don't even have a call for the missed free throws. They do not panic. Clay misses both free throws. They do not panic. They just continued to show up. And that kind of calm only comes with three championships and five runs to the finals. You know, I don't know if they've earned the right to dance every time a a player hits a shot, but they have proved to us they've earned the right to not panic when most other teams fucking would. So reason why they could pull it out. Memphis, size, blissful ignorance. You know, that's if there's anything we got to really worry about, it's those two things. And I'll, I'll add one other thing I liked from game one. The Warriors pulled a judo at the end of the game. They actually out-rebounded fucking Memphis in that game, which I never would have saw coming. Um, CJ, best reason the Warriors win? 
They're the Warriors. Like you guys said, they've been here before. There's nothing that they'll, that will be thrown at them this postseason that they have not seen or overcome. Um, and, you know, when you, when, when you have championship pedigree like that, um, it's hard not to see yourself as the championship favorite. There you go. That's exactly right. Quick hits, gentlemen. Fast answers. Here's our first. And, CJ, you're the only one qualified to answer this because you've been in both arenas. Who has a better home court advantage? I'm going to go with Memphis, man. Uh, I'm going to go with Memphis. Um, I feel like it's a – maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like a small arena, a little more intimate. And, you know, like we said, this this is new success for them. So their fans are more excited than ever. Warriors fans, I want to call them entitled. But, like, you know, they, they've been here, been there, done that. And I've been kind of – you know, I've never got the, the opportunity to cover a game at Oracle. But, you know, Chase Center, I've been disappointed with that crowd at times. Um, now, granted, I haven't been at every single Memphis Grizzlies home game this season, but I was very impressed by the, the energy that that crowd produced last night. Yeah. Uh, I unfortunately agree with you. I've never spent one minute in Memphis, either in FedEx Arena or Beale Street, anywhere close to it. But there was a moment yesterday, I'm going to fuck up the score. I should have wrote it down. But I, I think it was 6-6 six, six something. But the Memphis started off with a lead, and the Warriors climbed back in and then tied it up. Throughout that entire time, Memphis crowd continued to stand. Right now, Chase Center wouldn't do that. They might stand at the beginning. You know, they, they, they might know because the arena and the giant screen would say stand up. But five minutes into the game, when the other team had already scored, Chase Center will be seated. Memphis was still providing their team a boost, which is a difference, man. It, it really is. Hopefully, I'll be proven wrong. But based only on what I've seen, I think it's Chase too. Um, Marcus, will Iguodala play in this series? Do you think we'll see him? Yes. I think he plays towards the later games just to get some of his lungs back, but not because we need him, just because they're getting ready for the next round. They said anything, CJ? Have you guys gotten any information at all about him? Still no updates on Iggy. Do you guys notice the bananas, like the three-piece suit he was wearing? I peeped that. I peeped that. I was like, did it hit you in Look, as someone who wears the same variation of clothes like <laughs> like every day, like who has no real sense of style or the money necessary to improve my wardrobe, um, I don't want to hate. But I was like, oh, look what you wearing, Iggy, man. Like, <laughs> that just stuck out to me, dude. It, it, it was just kind of because it was right after he got taken out, right? What, he, what do I know about fashion, though? What do I know about fashion? <laughs> Here's what I know. I've seen Iguodala on the sidelines a lot of times. I have never seen him dressed to the nines as if he was going to be on a GQ cover. And it was right after we learned that he was going to miss some games. I, I'm not a psychologist. I didn't talk to Andre, but it felt significant to me. It, it almost felt like he was trying to overcompensate. Like, don't forget about me. You know, like, no, I'm still a professional, even if I am hurt. Um, but as far as his physical ability, any they're, they're not giving you guys any news. We don't, there's no target date for him to come back anything like that yeah um when, when when the news first broke of his injury they said he'd be reevaluated in a week and we're coming up on that point so um any day now we'll have an update but not as yet maxime most hateable memphis player ah mm. uh, i mean i feel like you almost got to say not named john morant um because he's not exactly hateable but i, I i've turned from being a huge john morant fan to um feeling pretty, pretty uh, resentful of his presence. But uh, at this point, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Desmond Bain. I just don't like his general demeanor. He's kind of reminding me of, of Aaron Gordon and it's, it's in general, it's freaking me out. 
Ja has had such a huge ascendance in his star. So like, I remember from the playing game last year that I, he hadn't reached a level of competency yet where I felt threatened by him. So I was entertained by watching him. I just wanted to see what he would do. That is done now. I'm not entertained by shit. I feel threatened. You know, he is a very good player. I'll give you my most hateable it's Dylan Brooks, but in like, it's, it's going to be because not that he's doing a bunch of hateable things like some like Alvarado did or uh, Pat Bev did more because we're going to watch him blanketing, fouling, hurting Steph Curry through however many games this thing goes through. And I can see at the end of it really developing some anger uh, towards Mr. Brooks. So he's my guy. Who do you guys got? Oof. I mean, first and foremost, I hate no one. But if I had to choose someone as I hedge so much, don't I? I'm a hedger. I'm a hedger. Um, <laughs> I told you my nickname is the hater too. So I, I think right now it has to be it has to be a guy like Brandon Clark. I mean, of course, Warriors fans are going to be upset with his shot at Draymond uh, last night, but. He's just that relentless guy who, you know, you think he got an easy rebound. He just comes flying in and, you know, taking it from you. You know, he's, he's going he's gonna to play hard, be scrappy. You know, those are the guys that you don't necessarily hate off the court, but you hate to play against them. Yep. That's a real deal. Same. Yeah, I'm going to go like you, Bram, Dylan Brooks. Um, I think Bain and Brooks don't shoot as bad as they did in game one which is a problem, but I also don't think John Morant is as good as he was from behind the arc either. So I think it's a wash, Um, but he's their X factor to me. If Dylan Brooks plays well and stays out of foul trouble and shoots a respectable, you know, amount of threes and and takes it to the hole and gets, you know, 15, 18 points, I think he becomes a big problem for us. Is four for 11 good? Like, I mean, I know it's like, what, 40, 45% but like, or something like that, right? But is it, is it for his standards? <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't. It wasn't how many he hit. It's when he hit them. Didn't he hit his first two? They yeah. were. Timely. They were timely. Yeah. But the ones he hit were definitely timely. But like his misses were like way off. That's, that's actually accurate. Same with Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks had some wild as fuck um, yeah, air balls. Air balls, yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah, he, yeah, Dylan airballed like a wide open one in the first yeah. half. Grizzly was trying to get going. They looked like they're about to get on a little run. I think maybe it was Ja hit Dylan in the corner. He's like, yeah, this is knocked down. That John went over the rim. I was like, he was way over. I mean, yeah, there, there must I was have been like, there. bro, I've been there, bro. I've been there, bro. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's the wide open ones are the toughest, man. I swear. <laughs> Why I hope won't shoot again like that is Triple J, right? Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, and I don't know if I've ever watched somebody who has an uglier, consistent jump shot. He's moving forward on every one of his jump shots, including his fucking pushes it. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a single body push motion. You know what I'm the ball has no rotation either. It's so <laughs> anti everything you're taught. <laughs> going in there. All right, boys. Our last and easily most important question: Who wins? And in how many games? Let's crescendo to you, CJ. Marcus, what's your answer? Warriors and six. I see. Warriors and six. I say the same. Warriors and six, CJ. This is controversial, and I'm sure Warriors fans love this, but based on what I saw from Memphis in the first round, I said Warriors in five heading into the series, and the fact that they were able to win game one without Draymond in the second half, and as poorly as they played collectively for most of the game, let's be honest, or at least most of the first half, I think that bodes well for them moving forward. Um, 
you know, and if they take care, if they're able to win game two um, at better form tomorrow, then I think my prediction gains more scheme. Let's go. This really was like a Scooby-Doo fucking episode. It's like a surprise ending. You've been telling me nothing but like big Memphis facts the entire time. I gotta be honest. I just gotta be honest. I'm just saying. <laughs> You're just throwing me off the scent the whole time. <laughs> Nicely played, CJ. Memphis is amazing. With that said, Warriors and Bot. Better crowd. But like, does that not speak for more to what the Warriors are? I think it just speaks to more of what the Warriors are. Right Look, now. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I'm just saying, you <laughs> sucked me into this reveal culture. I had no idea where you were going, and here we are. I am sure I'm not the only one surprised or impressed with your work. For those who need way more CJ Holmes in their life, where do they go? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CJHolmes22. Boom. Uh, for us, our only presence on social media is Twitter, where we were at, where we're subtle. You want to shoot us a question, let us know we did a good job, bad job, any job. Shoot us an email at huddle at warriorshuddle.com. Boom. That in mind, go Warriors. Hopefully, we'll see you next week. Good, good.